Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another one of my GaudiMitzBez22.com podcasts on Podbean and YouTube videos. Uh, once again, great guest today. Great, great guest, uh, Benjamin Peters. Uh, I've, we've been trying to arrange this conversation for a few weeks, but through the Internet gods, we're not smiling. It seems like over the past month, this has happened to me a couple of times now where I've had to cancel. But we're finally here. Uh, Benjamin came to my Benjamin is very involved with the Catholic worker movement. And he came to my attention because of this great, great book that I read. OK, I'm, I'm a complete technological Luddite. So I'm going to try and hold this up here. Benjamin Peters, and it's called Called to be Saints, John Hugo, the Catholic Worker and a Theology of Radical Christianity with an appendix of Dorothy Day's retreat notes. Um, before we get into that, though, um, Benjamin Ben Peters is, in fact, uh, he's now a professor of religious studies at the University of St. Joseph, which is in West Hartford, Connecticut. There's a lot of St. Joseph's out there. It's this one is in West Hartford, Connecticut. It's run by the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, he's also he also has got his Ph.D. under the tutelage of my very dear friend, Dr. William Portier at the University of Dayton. Bill, if you're listening, a big shout out to you. Uh, great guy. Uh, and uh, got your MDiv. Oh, you just told me where you got your MDiv, and now I forgot. Oh, Notre Dame. Yes. And that's and then you got involved with Michael Baxter uh, and the Catholic Worker House there in South Bend. Anyone who's familiar with the Catholic Worker Movement is probably aware of Mike Baxter, one of its leading intellectuals today, former Holy Cross priest, now married, living in Denver. Uh, I, Mike, if you're listening, uh, I do want to do a podcast with you, too, someday soon. Uh, but anyways, uh, I, I want to talk about we, we, we're going to branch out. We can talk about Dorothy Day. We can talk about anything you want. And if you're anything like me, you probably don't even remember three fourths of what you wrote in this book <laughs> and haven't reread it in years. Uh, but I, so, you know, if, if you if you say to me, uh, oh, I don't really remember that, that's fine. But for those who don't know, OK, there was there was a rather controversial in some ways series of retreats, uh, spiritual retreats run by a priest from Pittsburgh called Father John Hugo, and they became known as the Father Hugo Retreats. Dorothy Day really loved those retreats and the spirituality contained within them, and she highly recommends to her Catholic workers that they attend these retreats, and some Catholic workers did not like the retreats and kind of resisted a bit, uh, and so they became, and then Father, uh, uh, Father Hugo himself uh, came under kind of suspicion that his retreats were a little too ascetical, a little too rigorous, maybe a bit Jansenist or something. I don't think any of that's true, but that's sort of the backdrop here as to why it was somewhat controversial. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Ben, and say, okay, just ge generically introduce this topic to us of the Father Hugo retreats and Dorothy Day's relationship with them, if you don't mind. Sure. So um, I think, uh, well, first, uh, Thanks for having me on and thanks for plugging the book. The, the, the book did come out, I think, in 2016, though, so it's it, it has been a while. And so um, uh, I, 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 I may need you to remind me what exactly that. that yeah, yeah. Is. I just recently read uh, read it uh, last year. I read it. So, uh, you know, now it's a year behind me, too. But still, okay. I have lots of notes in here and stuff. So go ahead. Um, but yeah. So I, I think. Um, the, the way the story goes, I think Dorothy had, you know, her, her kind of story, she had con converted to, to Catholicism. Um, 
And uh, and the way she tells it anyways, in The Long Loneliness is, is she was, you know, looking for something more, right? And and um, had had been looking at re retreats. I think Maisie Ward of, of Sheena Ward Publishing House was, was a good friend of hers. And she was the one who first brought her, brought to Dorothy's attention, these retreats that were going on up in up in C Quebec by a French Canadian Jesuit um, named Lacatour, um, and and Dorothy at first read uh, Ward's notes on on the retreats and didn't think they really said much to her and kind of dismissed it. But then it was through um, um, uh, a Josephite priest named Pacifique Roy, another French can Canadian who was working in the United States and kind of came into the Catholic worker circles and was hanging out in New York. And he started talking more and more about these re retreats. And Dorothy, I think, got, got attracted to that. And then um, he was the one who said, well, if you really want to know how this is done, you got you to find this guy, John Hugo. Hugo was a priest from Pittsburgh, the Archdiocese of Pittsburgh, um, who had also kind of stumbled upon the Lacatur retreats when he was looking just to do his his annual priestly re retreat and really kind of fell for this and i think i think one of the reasons that um that everybody seemed attracted to the, these retreats which which were largely based on the ignatian ex exercises and, and really the, the 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 retreat itself is kind of encapsulates um kind of well i i guess the the, the most popular version encapsulates just the first week of the ignatian right. retreat. Right. There, there were sort of further versions that fewer and fewer people kind of, kind of took. But um, I think what what one of the things I think that in, that people were attracted to was it, it it really called people to take the call to holiness seriously, right? And 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 I I think for a lot of people, especially lay people at the time, that was not something that they encountered when they went on re retreats or. Or kind of, you know, we and and I kind of get in this in in the book. I don't want to get too too lost in the weeds, but you know, the, the kind of two tiered notion yeah. of the Christian life that there were that there was sort of this supernatural calling, and there were the councils of perfection and these things. And but but that was for monks, and that was for nuns, and that was for people um, who were called to that sort of what what you know as like like the supernatural life. Where for lay people, especially, but even for um, more secular clergy, right? That 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 wasn't something because they had to deal with the day to day. They had to pay bills and they had to take care of their kids and 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 so there was a kind of a, I think what a lot of people saw sort of a two tiered notion of the Christian life. And I think one of the things that that they found in these retreats, and I think what Hugo in in, in particular did, because when Lacatur was giving the retreats, it was mainly to priests. Uh, but what one one of the I think the genius things about Hugo and and uh, was to sort of translate that and to translate the demands of the Ignatian re retreat to lay people to, to say that that we don't have a two-tiered notion of the Christian life right. Right? That, that that all people are called to this idea of of, of of holiness and I think there was something there that really struck Dorothy um and you know and, and she kind of called it the the bread for the strong that like like that this that this really de demanded something, and and I, I think you're right. Not 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 everybody appreciated this. I mean, it, it was it was a silent re retreat. Um, she she kept notes, which I which I was able. Mar Marquette um, was was nice enough where where all the Dorothy Day ar archives was nice enough to, to let me publish her notes. But you know, so there was no talking. It was very simple. Um, and and I 
I think in some way that kind of gave her the, the, the sort of theological juice that I think she was looking for since she had become Catholic. And, and, and so then she kind of runs with this for the next few years. Yeah. And then, and then there's kind of Hugo gets into some um, trouble in various ways with, with, with the Bishop and, you know, what, what people think he's doing and, and I think why they think. Um, um, yeah. And 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 he has he has theories on why that happens too that we can't get into. But but yeah, so so things that's but now 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 what, what what sort of happens is other other priests then pick it up as well. So so he, Hugo's bishop sent, sends him away. So he, he he's off at a rural parish and he can no longer offer the re- retreats, especially to, to the Catholic worker. But then other priests kind of pick it up and there are these retreat priests that Dorothy t- talks about. Um and you know and up until the 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 end of her life, you can find her talking about this. My 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 um my theory is that the whole long loneliness, like if 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 you read uh from from um Union Station to Rome or or the House of Hospitality, where she's sort of telling her life story, those were written prior to her encounter with with the retreat. But if you read the long loneliness, probably her her most famous book, her yeah. autobiography, yeah, you see her really changing the way she understands her journey, and I think she changes it in light of the theology that she gets out of the retreat. Right, this idea that 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 the supernatural life, that the life of holiness, that the Christian life is more than simply not being sinful. And I, I I think that's the kind of theological nugget that I always got out of, out of the retreat. Instead of a kind of a two-tiered, again, kind of um, metaphysical view of, you know, where, where there's sin and there's grace. And and sort of the, 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 the job of the Christian is not to sin. That kind of, you know, what, what the retreat says, well, that's sort of a very minimalist notion of, of the Christian life, that Christians are called to be much more than simply not sinful people, right? And so, and and so, what Hugo introduces, and I think he gets this from Ig- Ignatius, is a kind of almost a three-tier um, notion where you've got sin, you've got nature, and you've got grace or the supernatural. And sometimes in life, and we have to discern this, Christians are called to move beyond not just sin but also some aspects of kind of our natural desires or our natural uh, uh, attachments, what, what Ignatius yeah. did the famous um, Aguirre Contra, kind of moving beyond or go, yes. going against our natural inclinations. And I think, I think for, um, for Dorothy, that sort of um, that idea that, that it's more than simply not being a bad person. I think that's the, um, that's at the heart, and 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 so and so that means maybe giving up some things that aren't necessarily sinful, but maybe aren't helping us in our relationship with God. That's where Hugo gets into, I think, the controversy that, that that you talked about, where people are saying, "Well, why are you telling people that they can't smoke, or why are you telling people that maybe they maybe they shouldn't drink alcohol?" It doesn't mean that alcohol and smoking is bad. He's just saying these become these attachments that then we have that right. they become obstacles in, in in our relationship with God. People heard that though. And, 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 and I think to be fair, a lot of people went to the retreats and then came back and said, this is what we talked about. And some, some of their pastors might've heard that and said, that sounds a little more than maybe, you know, that, pastors who smoked and drank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, and, and I, I, 
I always think of the scene in the in the movie version of of Doubt. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with 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 Meryl Streep, but th- no. there's a great scene where the 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 nuns are all sitting in the convent and they have this very dark like a like one bowl of soup or something and there's not as very dim and then they switch to the rectory and there's steak and there's wine and there's smoking and i think like that's what hugo was kind of and i think it was those guys that said whoa 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 you like we we can enjoy life you know and certainly i i think to a certain point he he would say that but i think his point was just because we're giving something up doesn't mean it's sinful. And, and I think that's the kind of a, and so that gets translated though, kind of in Dorothy's mind and Hugo's mind into more than just smoking and drinking. Hugo was one of the few priests uh, during World War II who came out in support of conscientious objectors to, to the war. He was against the draft. Um, you know, he and Paul Hanley Furphy and one or two other priests were really the, the only Catholic priests in the United States who kind of publicly um, uh, opposed um the U.S. participation in the war. And I think this, again, was kind of out of that same. It wasn't that the war wasn't just. It's just that the war wasn't this higher path, this sort of thing that was going to bring us closer. Yeah, and I think that was Dorothy's. I mean, it cost a lot of I mean, the Catholic worker movement was growing until World War Two. And then Dorothy came out famously against Catholic participation in the war. And then the the subscriptions to the Catholic worker paper and so on just plummeted. And she she received a great deal of criticism. Uh, but I, I think people have to remember that the pacifism of Dorothy and then from what you're telling me, it sounds as well of Father Hugo is is not simply sort of a, a, an opposition to this war because it's unjust. It's 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 taking a higher vision of at some point, the church needs to follow a path of perfection that shows humanity the way to peace and not simply endless, constant war making between nations, that there is a higher path that we should be pursuing. Now, of course, that gets very complicated, right? Uh, perhaps charity demands we defend the weak and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm not a doctrinaire. I'm not a doctrinaire pacifist myself. What I'm trying to let people see, though, is that the vision of Dorothy and Father Hugo is not as simplistically reduced as people think that it is. Yeah. And 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 I think this idea, you know, I, I, I always ask my students, like, you know, if your best friend came to you and said, I, I met this great guy and I want to get married and you were to say, well, well, why? And she said, well, he doesn't cheat on me and he's not he doesn't lie. And you'd say, well, that's great. It's glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad that your future husband doesn't cheat on you and, and doesn't lie. But don't you want something more than that? And I think that's the kind of yeah. that, that sense of isn't there something greater that we're called to as Christians, this sort of call to holiness, this call to perfection um, that I think they were pointing to that moves us beyond simply like, take war. I mean, so many of the of, 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 of the debates, especially around you know, in the in the mid 20th century were, you know, is this a just war or not? And so if it's a just war, Catholics had an obligation, people were saying, to participate in not participate day, but 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 that they almost it, it was a moral duty that if it was a just war, you had to participate in it. And so when you then get Dorothy and Hugo and these other people saying, well, maybe it is a just war. And so maybe participating in it is not a sin. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Christians should participate, 
right? That's and, right. And, That's right. Yeah, and 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 I think that gets that gets translated in different ways. I think now, though, looking you know eighty years on, I think that's much closer to where things are as we think about these things now than yeah. certainly they, they were back in. And the- and we can't think of these things anachronistically. I mean, even if, for example, certain elements of the American government and Western governments probably knew what the Nazis were doing in like in the death camps and so on. The average person in the street, like a Dorothy Day or a Father Hugo, was probably completely unaware of, of that kind of horrible humanitarian atrocity that was taking place. And if for, through their eyes, remember, we have to look at it through the lens of World War One and so forth. To their eyes, it seemed like here we are engaged yet again in another one of these endless wars between European nation states that are ostensibly Christian and 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 for largely nationalistic, idealistic purposes. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like, oh, and then the war ends and OK, now we have a Cold War with the Soviet Union. We're in Korea. Then we're in Vietnam and then blah, blah, blah. And then it's Iran. And then it's Iraq. Blah, blah, blah. Now it's China's the big enemy. And so all of a sudden you begin to realize you take a step back and you say, well, maybe Dorothy and Father Hugo were onto something. Okay. Well, you know. I mean, and just having, I mean, just, just having that kind of idea, like does participating in this war, will this bring me closer to God? I mean, if, if that's our ultimate calling, right. And that yeah. kind of very Augustinian, you know, is that, will this, yeah. and I think that's what that, I mean, now they, they, Hugo especially could bring that down to the to the minutia of life of you know will this second cup of coffee you know and I think people that that's where people kind of say well is this is this getting too is this getting too much where it's pushing people to be you know you know he talked about like you can see all these books in my office like well maybe you know do you really need all those books should I really you know is that oh yeah are 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 these weighing me down in in my relate are these becoming obstacles because now I need a lock on my door and now I need to protect my books. And now I get mad if somebody takes my book and marks it up, you know, and I'm those things. Yeah. But, but, but I think just having that very basic, you know, which again, I think if you look at the Ignatian retreats, I mean, so much of what Ignatius is trying to get people trying to get the Jesuits to think about is, does this bring me closer to God or not? How, how do I discern yes. you know, the, the discerning of spirits and, and, um, and yeah, I mean, can we honestly say that participating in a war, even a just war, can bring and it maybe maybe people can, but I think asking that question is usually not the question that's asked. Well, is the war yeah. just or is it not just? I think the World War II was a just war, uh, uh even if it wasn't always carried forward justly. Uh and I also think, as in all wars, as in all wars, there is a certain kind of charity born of heroism uh, that a poor drafted foot soldier in the trenches in the foxholes does have to i mean you you found great moral courage great spiritual courage and heroism quite often in soldiers and and but that often leads to a kind of romanticization and lionization valorization of warfare like, you know, you, you get all these chivalrous images of the grand warrior out dying for his country and his family and so on. And yeah, and there's a certain truth in that, that war can bring out those charitable impulses. But the fact is, on the ground, what's the phrase? War is hell. PTSD afterwards and so on, uh, which wasn't even known about during the time of World War One and World War Two. The fact is, 
the over, for the overwhelming majority of soldiers who participated in combat, war is a searing, soul-destroying activity yeah. that involves you killing other human beings uh, that can only diminish your soul no matter how just, you know, I can imagine if someone broke into my home and was trying to kill my wife and I shot him and killed him to keep him from doing that, I would consider that to be a just action, but I would also be torn asunder in my soul that I had killed another human being and taken their life, uh, no matter how. So I think, yeah, that the higher calling of the Christian is this realization that life is embedded in a much grander supernatural uh, vocation for all of us. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, it, it, I'm kind of groping for words here, but go ahead. No, and, 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 and I think this, this doesn't have to just be with war too. And I think, I think this is where Dorothy, I mean, you think of, you know, I, I remember teaching a class, um, once and, and just asking, you know, is there, are there jobs that Christians should not participate, even if they're legal, yeah. you know, so we, we can probably think of a lot of occupations yeah. that are legal occupations and maybe occupations that someone could say, well, those are, those aren't sinful. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not sinful per se, you know, you, you could have good people who are in this, in, I always think of like, you know, like Tony Soprano, like, like, can you have a, a, a Christian in the mob, you know, could, could you have a good, you know, is it possible? And I guess we could have a mental exercise and say, yeah, you could probably think of a guy whose family, this is a family business. He wants to keep it going. He doesn't kill anybody. You know, maybe he knows, people. Right. but yeah, but we could say, yeah, but that's just, it's, you know, that's probably not a place that Christians should be. Christians should not be working in the mafia or like the drug trader. Well, and I wrote a blog post one time during the, there was this whole debate during the past election on Eucharistic coherence, right? Whether or not communion should be denied to President Biden or that candidate Biden because he's pro-abortion and so on. I, I don't really, you know, fine, whatever bishops decide, abortion is a horrible sin and I'm not here to defend it. But what I pointed out in my blog post called Eucharistic Incoherence is that every every sexual sin is considered grave matter. Uh, and I've had a conversation with Bill about this. And yet, let's take a young Catholic man, say 25 years old, who works for the military, who sits in a nuclear missile silo, in a Minuteman silo someplace in, say, Missouri. And he's been trained to turn his key, okay, along with the other dude in the silo with him, if they ever get the message to do so. And he's perfectly willing to do that. And they go through various drills in which they do do that with, you know, in a mock drill that that young soldier is told by our church that that's fine. You, you you're defending your nation and and there's a higher good that you're involved with here. I would say this. I think he's actually engaged, engaged in something gravely immoral, even if he never turns that key. He has the intention of turning that key to insinuate tens of millions of people in a moment's notice. And yet that's not considered sinful. If that same young man goes home and succumbs to sort of masturbatory temptations, he's now committed a mortal sin and has to go to confession. But sitting in that missile silo, that's not a mortal sin. That's that's, I think, what Dorothy and Father Hugo and these guys are pointing at at the military industrial that my goodness, what has happened to us that we that we're that we don't blink twice at something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and 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 well, and 
and that and that we still think and i, I it's funny i it, this sort of brings i i just finished a a, a book manuscript recently it's it's on, under review now but on 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 gordon zahn who was kind of also in this circle well, anyway, i don't mean to interrupt you but the the point that i was trying to make was there are some professions as you said that catholics should not participate in even if our church says they're good and i would say sitting in a nuclear missile silo is one of those professions but well, anyway well, no, and, and, go and, ahead you know, and, and I was going to get to that. But, but I, I, I think, you know, you, you could take this out of out of the military complex, too, and just sort of say, are there, you know, if if you're working for a private equity fund that's that's taking over right. business, shutting down whole neighborhoods, you know, is that something that, yes, we could maybe in some way think, oh, yes, you could still live a life of holiness working for a private equity, but it, like the guy in the silo, you know, so because what 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 Zah, I was going to say, what, what Gordon Zahn is kind of writes writes about is, yeah, you know, like like the like the way our moral theology and Catholicism says is, well, he still has the option to he has to still make the decision. Am I turning the key or not? You know, he has to give the presumption of justice and everything. But still, we want to say he's got a moral agency. But that seems what Zahn says is that ignores what you just said, all the training. He's yeah. been trained. Never question this. When the light comes on, turn the key. And there's, and I always think of that. I remember that that movie, War Games. War it's Games, yeah. You know, and turn and your key, is, sir. And the other guy said, "I'm not going to. Unless I get confirmation, I'm not calling up. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to destroy the world until we have a. No, no, no. There's no calling anybody. You have to just, you know. And 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 so I think, you know, so if we take this out of just the war and peace thing, which which I think, you know. Is is one of that Hugo and 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 Dorothy certainly focused a lot on, but I think we could expand this. You know, are there other other occupations? Are there other industries who have a similar kind of training that would that would make it very difficult? You know, so so maybe no one's going to put a gun to my head, but I'm going to lose my retirement if I don't go along with what the with right. what the you know, or I'm going to get fired and I have a mortgage and. You know, and these are other ways that, you know, so are there places that that, you know, maybe are maybe they are just and maybe they are not sinful. Maybe private equity is not sinful per se, but should Christians be participating? I mean, I think that's again, this all kind of goes back to having those kinds of very serious discerning, discerning of spirits kind of conversation. Is this going to bring me closer to God or is this going to take me farther away? I think that's an important point, because even beyond whatever, say you have a particular job at a particular company and you're concerned with some of its uh, entanglements with various other companies that are doing nefarious. They produce things via sweatshops in South Vietnam and Thailand and places like that or Vietnam now, I should say, showing my age, South Vietnam. Uh, but um, beyond that. You can, you can ask yourself, you know, is, is this job bringing me closer to God in a much more proximate way? Do I want to spend the rest of my life working eight to five inside a little cubicle surrounded by 800 other cubicles, okay, in this anonymous, soul-numbing environment of corporate America? Yes, I'm making money. I'm supporting my family. There's I donate nothing, to the church. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I go to church. There's nothing inherently immoral about what I'm doing, but is what I'm doing bringing me closer to God? Yeah, yeah. And, I the, mean, and, yeah. And, and so I, I'd say in essence that's that's what the retreat, and I think what 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 I what I loved about Hugo is he brought that not he brought that out of sort of the clerical sphere and brought it into lay people and said 
this is a demand for you. That then, of course, you know, at, at, at Vatican II, the kind of universal call to holiness is something that's lifted up. I think they were they were pointing towards that. And and there was a lot, as, as you know, there was a lot going on in the, in, in yeah. Catholic theology in the 40s and the 50s, you know, swirling around with these kind of nature grace questions. But um, yeah. Um, and I also so- want to I, I would quickly add, you know, there's a certain moral perfection and moral heroism involved in doing a job that you hate simply because it does put food on your family's table. Sure. I mean, I, I don't want to be bourgeois and elitist Mr. Professor here saying, oh, everybody should, you know, have the luxury of a leisured life. I mean, there were coal miners and factory workers and, who absolutely loathed and hated what they did, but they did it because they had family obligations. They had mouths to feed. And so I don't mean to disparage that. What I'm saying, though, is along what you're saying is, I mean, if you have options, if you have real choices and you're sitting here in a job that's killing you, killing your soul and you have a real choice, then why stay there? Okay. And and Father Hugo was trying to get people to see, well, maybe you should not do that job. (laughs) Well, or and and, and again, and and, or just the the kind of things you have, you know, what what like like what do you what do you prize in your life? You know, what, 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 what are the things are, are there things that are, you know, it, he always had, it, there, there was a line I remember in, in encountering in, in, in one, one of the retreats from, from John of the cross about kind of our, our uh, attachments to things. And, and it could be the slightest little attachment, but he had some uh, analogy of a bird. It only takes a very small string tied to the leg of a bird to prevent the bird from soaring. And right. And, and, and so they're looking at attachments in this way as, so it, that's a know, great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it isn't just the kind of middle class bourgeois kind of folks that can have these uh, these uh, 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 attachments. And, and, and I think I think but but I think all this to say, then sometimes that can get translated in a very, you know, what people would call Jansenist or pro- perfectionist, which was being used in a in a more derogatory way is, you know, and, and I yeah. think it drove some people crazy. Um for, for that very reason, I remember talking to, to someone at 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 uh, at St. Vincent's in in Latrobe because that's where Hugo had gone to the seminary, and um and and I said you know I was talking about Hugo it was a it was a Benedictine and he said well let me go let me go into the infirmary and just ask if anybody re- remembers who this guy was so there were a bunch of older be- be- Benedictines some of whom hadn't kind of woken up in a while and he said he was kind of wandering around saying does anybody remember John Hugo and this one guy. Who hadn't sat up and shot bolt up in his bed and said Hugo and he, and he like went into this whole thing about he drove me crazy because he'd get the seminarians being so like no we're only gonna live sleep on the floor and things like that so um, yeah well you know uh, maybe he was a bit rigorous and and rigorous so, that, that was know, ma- yeah maybe he was a bit rigorous but that doesn't necessarily undermine the overall validity of his approach or his spirituality or what he was trying to say. And, and that would be my point. I, we've all gone on retreats. I've gone on retreats and I was a seminarian once back in the day and I would go on retreats and some of them were Ignatian retreats and the retreat. Yeah. Sometimes the, the retreat master, I thought, well, that, that guy's a bit, boy, that's draconian. Whew, that's pretty scorched earth. Wow. Okay. But I was still in, I, I, and I thought, well, I'm not going to do that 
but I was still inspired by the guy. I was still like, you know, he's onto something. He's kind of <laughs> kooky, but I tell you what, he's really onto something important here. And I'm going to listen to what he has to say. Uh, and, and I think that is what Dorothy saw in Father Hugo as well. Like, okay, I may not completely, and Dorothy struggled with smoking. <laughs> and, you know, I may not completely agree with every single ascetical piece of advice that this priest is giving me, but he's onto something. He's got an insight into what? The universal call to holiness. This is the thing. And this, so this is the question I want to bring to two things. Number one, and, it, you know, if you don't know the answer to these questions, feel free to say, I don't know the answer, because one of them is historic. One of them is historic. Well, they're both kind of historical. Number one, how common was it, say, before the Second Vatican Council, during the time of, you know, say the 30s through the 50s, whatever, how common was it for Catholic lay people to go on retreats at all? Uh, and second, I, if it was fa fairly common, if it, if it did happen, what was the nature of those retreats? Were they mostly, well, here are some nice rosary prayers, devotional prayers to help you in your fulfilling of your duties as mother and father. And, and we're going to give you Eucharist, some confession times and an examination of conscience, that kind of thing. I mean, please go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I think, and, and, and I, I'm certainly not not an, an expert on it. I think there's a great book by um, Joe Joe Kanichi on kind of the history of the of the retreat movement. But there 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 was, I think, starting in the early 20th century, a real there was a I forgot which which pope had it, had an encyclical that really encouraged lay people to to make retreats. And there was something that came to be called the retreat movement more broadly right. inside of, of 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 Hugo. And this and this sort of pre predates Dorothy's encounter with Hugo. And this is where, um, you know, I, I think you see the the huge retreat houses that are now sadly closing down all over the United States. But that's where they kind of came out of this impetus that lay people should be making re retreats and parishes brought lay people all year. Right? You know, th th this was something that it was almost seen as maybe not an obligation, but I think everybody did it. Everybody went on a retreat once a year. And, and so, yeah, so there was this big push to get lay people making retreats now what do those retreats look like that's kind of a i guess uh, you know up for debate so, so, somewhat i think how hugo would paint the picture is yeah there it was more about you know having a good time relaxing taking a break from your kids um maybe maybe you'd say some prayers maybe you'd go to go to mass and 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 and, and go to confession but it was a really more of a like a vacation that was supposed to energize you. Maybe it, maybe you heard some speakers that kind of fired you up a little bit, but then you went, then you were supposed to kind of use that to go back to your life and kind of live it in a little bit of a better way and be more focused, but, but nothing as what he would think, I think as radical as what he thought, like kind of what we're talking about here, like is yeah. my life bringing me closer to God? And if it's not, I need to drop this stuff away. And so I, I think, I think, there was this big wave, there was this big push, but I think he was a, always a bit dismissive, which probably did not bring him many fans with the other. Not clergy. many at all. Well, it says, you know, in the subtext, the subtitle of your book here called to be saints and, you know, uh, John Hugo, the Catholic worker and a theology of radical Christianity. You know, in this sense, I think Hugo's vision is very similar to Dorothy days. So it makes no, it makes perfect sense why she was gravitating towards him. Because what Dorothy's insight was, Peter Morin's insight, and apparently Father Hugo, and, and some others, was that unless 
Catholics become more deeply enmeshed, lay Catholics, average Catholics, unless they become more radically enmeshed in a Christian faith that lives out the evangelical councils in a universal, they're going to fall away from the faith. I think there was a prophetic, prescient understanding that modernity represents a kind of toxic a toxic environment for the faith, no matter how much the church had accommodated itself, according to Dorothy and others, to bourgeois modernity and capitalism and, and all and, and consumerism, uh, the cult of well-being, as Berdayev calls it, uh, and Dorothy kind of liked Berdayev to an extent, uh, that all of this militates against the So you're either going to dive deep into the faith, or you're going to leave it. And is that not what we kind of saw after the council, right? As the church to this day in the West continues to hemorrhage Catholics, so that the only ones that are going to be left are the ones who are taking the whole damn thing somewhat seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so Dorothy and Father Hugo are saying, yeah, and what does that mean? What does that look like? How should your life be different from that of bourgeois modernity and consume? Not that any of the consumer goods you're buying is sinful, but you need to look at the bigger picture and say, what is all of that, all the accoutrement of your life doing to you as a yeah. Christian? Yeah. yeah. And and again, that kind of sim simple question of, is this bringing you closer to God? You know, if, if that's yeah. our ultimate, if that's our ultimate goal here, is this stuff and what again, whether it's your job or whether it's your books or whether it's titles, yeah. um, you know, is this bringing you closer to God or not? And 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 I think what 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 they were also kind of pushing back is 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 that we were living at a time where people were telling lay priests and bishops were telling lay people, don't worry about that. That's that that's not you need to be worrying about you know paying the bills and you know being a good person. Don't sin. And yeah. I think that that more again that get back to that kind of two tiered versus what I'm calling a more three tiered um, theology. Yeah, yeah, and and that and that kind of what I call sometimes even pietistical devotional Christianity that says you don't need to aspire to holiness, you don't need to aspire to sanctity according to living out the evangelical councils, living out the Sermon on the Mount, as Dorothy would say, and Peter. No, no, no. As long as you're living out the commandments and you're saying your prayers, okay, and going to mass, you're cool. You're in. You're in. All right. So don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. And this is the life of the that it's two tiered. And it really did set up, it set up this two different classes of, of Catholics, the vast, vast, vast majority of lay people who are simply to be content with living the basic commandments. And then as what Robert Barron calls them, the spiritual athletes of the church, all right, the spiritual athletes, the celibates, the monks, the priests, the nuns, those are the only ones that can be truly holy. And therefore, to put the Father Hugo retreats into context, that's what he was trying to bash away at. It is, but and 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 I I I think too, and this is something that that I struggle with in 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 my own life. But if I think this is what Dorothy Day, why is she was attracted to like the little way of of to, to reach right. the zoo? Because I think sometimes we think, you know, and this is also why I think she didn't never wanted to be called a saint because I think she sees these things as that spiritual athlete. Well, that's not something I can do because I got kids. And I got to pay the bills and I have to worry about these things. And so there's almost a, 
a kind of giving up, well, I guess I'll just stick with not being a jerk, or I guess I'll just stick with not being a bad person, because I can't, I can't be Francis Xavier kind of marching through and, and con- yeah. confronting the, you know, and I think where Hugo, but I think Dorothy and Therese, I think what they were kind of pointing to is you can do this, this holiness can be found. It doesn't have to be, you have to give everything up and you have to sell everything and you have to go live in the Bowery, you know, that it yeah. can be in, you know, I, my, I, and I think somewhere in my, in my, in my, Intro. I, I I talk about you know I was I'm writing this book while we're raising four little children, and getting up at two o'clock in and, and this was a Bill Portier line somewhere. Getting up at two o'clock in the morning with a sick kid has to count for something in terms of holiness. Like, like oh yeah, this is bringing you so so it's looking at your whole and I think it, again Ignatius was great with this, but and I think looking at this this holiness. In, in terms of how do you translate that into a life of a family? Because it really hadn't been at that point. I, I always wonder, why aren't there more married saints? Like, why don't we have more married saints, especially with children, that we can look to? We Like, that's one thing the church needs. We need more married saints. Well, that means we need to alter the way we make saints, because the reason why there are more priests and nun saints is because they had religious orders behind them that had monetary motives pushing not that these people aren't really saints the point though is you you needed an organization behind you to push your cause in rome well where's the organization that's pushing the cause of married lay people in rome you know for for, but 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 if if we're going to take this seriously we have to start looking at ways that that yeah my my very mundane day-to-day life here that that there's opportunities for holiness this whole you know and this is where the more i i think i talked about this a little bit the more kind of mystical side of the Jesuit tra- 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 tradition is is emphasizing this idea of how the duty of the present moment, that there's always an opportunity in your day-to-day life to Absolutely. find some way to, to live this holiness out. And so... And, yeah, go um, ahead. No, well, no. So, so the more that, because I, I, I think some someone might hear us talking like this and say, all right, you two, well, well like, you look pretty comfortable and you have heat, you know, and like, like well, so... Have have you kind of you know where's the holiness there? And I think that's something that you now we should never become comfortable and say, well, I guess I'm holy now. I'm doing it. And, and- well, actually, I barely have heat. Uh, we were able to bu- we were able to afford this farmhouse because it was actually a condemned house that no bank would touch, and we had to put a little bit of money in it. But we can we heat the house. There's no central heat. We heat the house with a wood stove in our kitchen. And uh, I, in fact, I just fed the fire before I came up here. No, okay, so I have a wood stove and I have wood and all that costs money, but uh, there's nothing romantic or quaint about it. But anyway, I'm not here to toot my horn. Point is, is this, is that none of this, and you, you mentioned Teresa Lisieux in, the, little, in the, the, the small way, the little way, none of what Father Hugo or Dorothy Day are recommending in terms of uh, a radical form of Christianity necessarily involves what I would call the imitatio Dorothy Day. You don't have to go and, like you said, live in the Bowery. It can be something as simple as this, taking the way you currently live, okay, and if you if you judge that it's a little too opulent, there's too much largesse in your life, and you want to divest a bit, fine, go ahead. But overall, and I love your, your example of waking up with a sick kid at night. The fact is, we've not done a very good job as a church of showing married people how, in point of fact, their life as spouse and parent of children 
is always already a sanctifying moment. And allowing them, therefore, not so much to radically alter their life away from what it is, but to see the entirety of their life in a different light, in a different context, to see every little thing that they do as precisely a movement towards God and sanctity in and through the, I mean, I had a sister that died of a heart defect. She lived for five years. And I remember I have this vivid memory of my mother sitting up all night with her sometimes uh, as she was vomiting and, you know, uh, sick from the medicines. And, and then the next morning, my mom would have to still dutifully get her other four kids ready for school and out the door and do the other chores and then go back to her sick daughter. And, you know, that's sanctity. And yet, has the church done a great job of letting people know that that is sanctity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, or and 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 saying that that, that, that yeah that 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 holiness that that the opportunities for holiness and and I think this is this is get to Dorothy and I think to, to raise and that the the opportunities to holiness are 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 always present. We have to just find them, right? We have to be looking for them, and that's and that's the discernment yeah. part that I think. They, they 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 get from Ignatius uh, uh, especially, but um, oh yeah, yeah something as simple too is if you are in, in terms of not just parenthood, but you have a job in the world and it's a fairly secular job doing secular things and it doesn't seem to have any m- immediate religious impact. Uh, the fact of the matter, though, is is to remind yourself, as C.S. Lewis says, you never encounter a mere mortal. That everybody you encounter in your day to day life is an immortal, and therefore to conduct yourself. At, at work in such a way that that you begin to actually care about the people that you work for. You are willing to do things for them. You are willing to extend yourself for them, uh, to show them kindness above and beyond the call of duty, to show them an interest in their lives and so on. The, uh, of these things too, holiness is made. Uh, and all too often, we, I don't think we see just the normal run of day-to-day, work-a-day, here's what I do at my job, events as moments of sanctity as well. And yeah, that's the small way of Therese, right? Doing dishes, cleaning the floor, doing just her duty and her job. Those are moments of sanctity. Well, and, and also those are that that's, I think, where, you know, to kind of get back to a kind of a, a, a thinking of this, the, the theologically where grace and where the supernatural can sort of work within the work within nature, that, that, that it's not something that, well, I go on a retreat or I go to mass, or I do this, and that's where the supernatural, and then and then I come back to the kind of mundane, profane. But that bringing that grace into the job. So so yes, yes. taking care of a sick child, working, you know, being patient with a coworker, or or you know, vol- you know, doing something that maybe no one even noticed. I I I always love the 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 spiritual work of mercy of bearing wrongs patiently. You know that you're that 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 you're not. You're not even telling people that you're doing it. You're just that's thinking, right. Just bear them patiently. You know, and and anybody has ever worked, you know, before I was a professor, I worked for a direct mail marketing company in Lincoln, Nebraska, a cubicle job, you know, eight to five. Did that for several years before heading back to grad school and so on. But anyway, point is, is that uh, we talk about the parish community and the parish community is very, very, very important. Obviously, that's where you are rubbing shoulders with those who are explicitly Christians, just like you and engaging in liturgical worship. And it's a hub of outreach that goes out from there. But the fact is also that for most people who have jobs in the workaday world, 
the vast, vast, vast majority of their time is spent with their fellow human beings in that community. And it comprises, therefore, a real As anybody who's ever had a job working in a place like, no, it's a real community, right? And, and, and not just at, once a year at Christmas parties and things like that. Sometimes you create some of the deepest bonds of friendship of your entire. I, my father was a fireman and some of the deepest bonds of friendship he ever developed in his entire life were with his fellow firemen, some of them Jewish, some of them, you know, non-practice, some of them Catholics. But they were that was his community as well. And that's a specifically lay vocation, right? That's a specifically lay form of holiness to find community and therefore moments of sanctity in that community as well. Well, and, and it also kind of get, gets us back to the point of, you know, does it matter then what your job is? You know, mm -hmm. if, if, if this is if this is the community that, you know, you're going to spend the majority of your waking hours with these people. Bingo. Think. Now, again, as you as you noted, not everybody has the opportunity to make choices like this. But to have a to think, is this is this group of people, is this job with these group of people, is this helping me do this or or is it working against that? You know, and, and, and so I think seeing like recognizing the importance of that um, yeah. and 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 of that of of the influence that those other people are going to have on you too and well yeah I, I i just saw a video recently of a priest who was recounting in an interview with his vocation story and, and it was a delayed vocation he worked for many years in the business world uh talk about exactly that that he realized that i can't remember what the job was some job in the corporate world and he realized that everybody that surrounded him was obsessed with making money and that it the pressure to make money was was enormous and there wasn't there weren't any friendships being developed it was just competition and then he further realized that in order to advance in that company and it was a kind of company where you either advanced or you got out you had to engage in the cocktail party circuit and the party circuit and the going on these opulent trips circuit and he just suddenly realized i cannot continue in this job and be and be a christian i can't and so he left and then pursued seminary well and and again not that you couldn't theoretically you could and i'm sure we you right could examples but as i tell my students it's a lot harder <laughs> you know it, it would yeah. be a lot harder than if you were doing something else you know now that's well, as, else yeah, as peter morin said our, our peter morin said our goal is to make it easier for people to be good no, 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 no. To build a society where it's easier for people to be good. No, and, and and this is why parents always worry about who their kids' friends are, because that, you know, you you want your kids to be with friends that are helping them be good, helping them yeah. to be people. Not and you and I probably both know people, and I know lots, who were in fairly lucrative jobs and decided to quit and move to something less lucrative precisely because the job was toxic. Uh, toxic to their faith, toxic to their soul, toxic to their psychology and their emotional well-being. And so off they went. I mean, it, you see people do this all the time and not even necessarily for specifically Christian reasons. It's like, wow, that job was killing me. All right. And, and so, yeah, I mean, so. No, though I, 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 I wonder if someone said, I quit this job, not because it was killing me, but because it was bad for my soul. If people would look at them funnier than they would. Oh, yeah, the, the job yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Out. I mean, there's there there's some reasons that, that we kind of say, well, that's a that's a logical 
But if someone said, it wasn't bringing me closer to God. Yeah, it was a great job, but it wasn't bringing me. So I gave up my million yeah. dollar a year career. People might scratch their heads more. Even, even Catholics, I dare say, might scratch their heads. Why would you give up a great, you know? But anyway. Oh, I know. Having lived near poverty most of my adult life it's like you know someone says you know well, you know money can't buy you happiness my father you said many times he goes money doesn't buy happiness but it can take a naturally happy person and make them damned ecstatic because <laughs> he never had as a fireman he never had a whole lot of money either and he, yeah. you know he had five kids and so and and yeah so but once again it, we're not saying that money is bad but yeah. and but Perhaps there comes a time when you need to give a lot of it up precisely for the sake of of advancing in the spiritual life. Um, I once knew a woman very wealthy and uh, we were in this group together. I don't want to say what, but she was a very nice woman. I loved her very much. She's a great lady. But one day we got into this conversation and she goes, I'm, I'm really reading a lot about St. Francis of Assisi these days. And I very much now want to pattern my life more after Francis, I'm so inspired by Francis of Assisi. So I said to her, I said, oh, oh, so uh, what does this mean? Are you going to be like giving a lot of your money away? She goes, oh, she goes, no, 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 no. Uh, it simply means I'm going to be more detached from these things. I'm just going to cultivate a spirit of detachment. And I said to her, no, that would be more the spirituality of one of the sainted kings of France, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but the spirituality of saint francis is specifically you give all that crap away <laughs> you know oh, because it because it's an obstacle you know you can say i'm detached from this but in reality if you're unwilling to give it up are you really detached from it well and even i i i, I spent prior to grad school I, I lived in in kenya for a year and, and i i i found a book somebody gave me a book on the a, a biography of charles de foucault Who's now Saint Charles de, de, de Foucault, whose whose feast day we just celebrated on 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 the first. But but his, so much you know, and, and he's the one who he was he was a Trappist. He was living in in North Africa, gets killed, uh, and then his spiritual writings are discovered later on. And then the right. little brothers and sisters of Jesus come. Kind of, but so much of his focus was not just kind of material poverty, but this idea of humility. Like it was all about, and this is what I love about the Little Brothers of, of Jesus, who Jacques Maritain, by the way, died as a member of the Little Brothers of Jesus, which I always think is a fascinating. That's um, great. After, after Raisa died, he he joined, but but that but that they look to you know, and these are oftentimes very educated people who join this community, but they look to not just take jobs that maybe aren't high corporate jobs, but also are they at the lower end of the prestige scale. You know, so if you're going to work at a college, don't be a professor, you know, be the person who cleans cleans the rooms. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And, 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 and that there's a sense of almost, and I think there's that fits in with kind of what we're talking about here, that, 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 that there's sort of a, you know, because I can say, you know, well, I don't have a lot, but I, but, you know, but I have a certain, prestige of what I do or people look at me be oh well you must you must be smart or you have all you know and and and, and even that someone like Dave Foucault is going to say that can get in the way here you know and, and oh and so true thinking and, and so so thinking about this really opens up the possibilities for again lay people especially to kind of see 
opportunities for holiness in 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 so many different ways, even in how you think about yourself and how you want other people to think about you. Like, and to reach a point in your life where holiness and the and its pursuit is no longer simply an option, another optional lifestyle choice that I'm making, because that's to return to like that two tiered view of things. I'm OK just living down here in the life of commandments. And if I add holiness on top of that, well, that's cherry on the on the ice cream, as Bill Portier would say, that's Jesus sprinkles on the ice cream. OK, but he was using to that reach back then, he used it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been using it for years. Great line. But to reach a point where you begin to realize for me, I'm not going to generalize for everybody else. For me, I'm either going to pursue holiness or I'm I'm screwed. OK, the, the, I'm at a crisis point. I'm at a And like in my own life, I don't want to generalize and say every professor teaching theology should do what I did. But just for me, I reached a stage in the professorate where I was very comfortable. I was making good money. We had a nice house. We were having parties. I was going to Rome every year, taking other trips, you know, going to find restaurants and all this, all the while teaching courses on the Catholic worker movement and Dorothy Day and Peter Morn and Catholic social justice <clears throat> very abstractly. And it just and both my wife and I, my wife has a Ph.D. in theology, too. My wife and I reached independently at the same time, as well as our friend, Father John Gribowicz, <coughs> this realization <clears throat> for me personally, <clears throat> I either have to give all that up, not because it's bad in and of itself, but because for me, it's an obstacle. As you just said, this is an obstacle to me. I am too attached to all of this. And it is my idol. It is the, the it is that which stands not as a sacramental icon of God through which God's grace comes to me. It stands as an iconostasis beyond which I cannot go. And I needed to get rid of it. And now here I am then on this Catholic worker farm, poorly farming, very poorly farming, Catholic worker homestead, I should call it, 11 acres for those listening. It's not really a farm. It's more like a homestead. But you get my point. All right. So I'm not going to condemn like other professors like you who stay in, in the ranks and my former colleague, Rodney Hauser, who's still in the ranks. For me, it was a barrier. And so I had to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. These are these are questions my wife and I wrestle with all the time. You know, I think because we, we, you know, and, yeah. as, as we. Well, know, and I we, still take trips and I still go out to restaurants and they still raise all those same questions. Like, okay. what am I doing? This money could have been spent for you know X Y Z. Well, and 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 I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I I think you know I I think that ongoing <laughs> keeps us on our toes. That ongoing d discernment, even on a daily basis, of is this something, is this an opportunity? Is this, you know, whether it's the person asking me for help at the side of the road or a colleague, or I'm being offered an opportunity to do something at work, or, you know, do I do this with my kids? Or not? These are all op that little way, these opportunities. Right. To say, is this something that is going to bring me closer to God or is it not? And I think, I think that takes, I mean, that's where to get back to Barron's idea of, of athletes, that takes stamina. Because you, you, you yeah. can't just kind of lay back and go, well, I'm here now and I'm not going to worry about it. That's why St. Paul called it a race. I've run the good race. It, it's 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 we are pilgrim people uh, to use a much cliched term. We're on a journey. We are on a journey. We are. Uh, we live in messianic time, as uh, Giorgio Agamben says, messianic time, the time of the in between.
and therefore, it's an ongoing and constant assessment of where we are on that path. Uh, and, and yeah, so, yeah, I'm constantly still reinterrogating myself about, well, what does it mean to be a Catholic worker? What does it mean to have a Catholic worker homestead? Uh, am I allowed to take this trip to Rome to do X, Y, Z? Uh, or should I have spent that money in the farm, on the farm? And so, yeah, it's a constant reinterrogation. I mean, just just think of the, like, that kind of Ignatian ig, ig, examine at the end of the night. Did what what happened to my day today? Were there yeah. opportunities in my day today that I let maybe possibly let grace go by, or or I didn't use those op? You know, and, and I think it's yeah, it is that it is that. Um, but 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 that again, that takes work. That takes like to 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 kind of get back to what we we're saying. That takes good teammates. You know, to 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 be a spiritual athlete, it helps. It helps to have good teammates. You know, it helps to have a spouse that you know is also. Oh wrestling. yeah, my wife. I could not. I my last book, Confession of a Catholic Worker by Ignatius Press. Uh, I dedicated to my wife, where I say, if I ever make it to heaven, it'll be because of her. <laughs> you know, no, I dedicated and, and, to my long-suffering wife, who, if I ever make it to heaven, she, she will be have been the reason why. And yeah, and that that's so true. And 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 I don't think again the kind of like the whole question about lay people as saints. I don't think we talk about marriage like that enough as a pathway to holy or having children as a pathway to holiness. That these are opportunities. I remember oh yeah. Well, let me tell you, being married to me has to be a pathway to holiness because it it's a living, it's a living crucifixion. I assure you, <laughs> I'm not the easiest person to live with. Uh, I might come across in these podcasts as quite avuncular and whatnot, but uh, I can be hell on wheels. Uh, so no, they, like, I, I, I didn't mention this, but, with, but before I went to the MDiv, I, I was in a Franciscan uh, uh, with, with the conventional Franciscans, and I made it through nine months of the novitiate year. And I always laugh that marriage is like an ongoing no, novitiate year. You have somebody <laughs> who's always asking you, why did you do that? And why yeah. like that? That's the best explanation of what a novitiate's like. It's like being married, but you're being, but you're, instead of a year, it's yeah. your whole life. You have somebody. Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, we've been at this for a little over an hour and uh, maybe we should start wrapping this up a bit. Uh, I don't, I, mean, I, I, I see some people have podcasts that go on for like two hours to it. I like to keep mine to an hour, hour and 10 minutes the amount of time that sometimes people have on their commute or their morning walk or whatever. Uh, so they can listen to it. So do you have any final uh, thoughts? I, I really thank you for coming on. This has been a great conversation. Finally, that we hooked up. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave with the, uh, with the listeners? Uh, no, I, 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 I think um, uh, thanks for, for having me on and th thanks for this, this discussion. I, I, I haven't thought about a lot of this in, in a while, which maybe, it, it, it explains why these thoughts were popping in my head as we were going along. But um, no, I, I, I think seeing, I think seeing Dorothy day, you know, I, I think maybe just to kind of end with her that, you know, looking at her as this model of, 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 of somebody who was more than simply not a bad person, you know, and, and I, I, <laughs> yeah, she I was a nice lady. Yeah, no. And, and I think seeing her as her, her story as a model of this more three tiered idea that, that that um that that what the christian life and i think she she was she was very aware of that that she wanted she didn't think her life was an extraordinary thing this was an ordinary yeah that, that this is something all and again to get back to the don't call me a saint's line that people love to throw at with dorothy 
to sort of see that this is something that's possible for 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 all people i think um, yeah and and that we should all pull together money and start and start pro- promoting the cause of of married people to be saints we we should have some kind yes of, uh, some, well some yeah i mean maybe, maybe holy episcopal conferences can start yeah. a little pool of money for promoting married saints I mean, well, or just lay saints. I mean, this is a problem. So why we don't have more lay saints in general, it's because they don't have an organization like a diocese or religious order to push their cause. Uh, A saintly lay person dies and it's at their funeral. People say, well, what a saintly guy he was. And then that's the end of it. Well, and, and, and then, and then, and then we wonder where, where the church isn't speaking to people. And and, and I think showing models that your life can be a saintly life, you know, as opposed to well, I, all, all I see are it's yeah, um, it's somewhat changing. Now you had Carla Lacutis and, and people like this that are now now saints, and hopefully Dorothy Day will be a saint someday officially. But we'll see. But anyway, Jaeger, I, I oh yeah, Jaeger, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. We need more lay saints, and I certainly probably will not be in their ranks. But we'll we'll see, we'll see. Hey, thanks for coming on, Ben. Maybe we'll have you on again for a follow up if you if you open to it. And but anyway. We're done here for today. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening today. And thanks for joining in. And uh, hey, everybody, uh, have a Merry Christmas. I probably will not be posting this till after Christmas, but I hope you all had a great Christmas in retrospect. So thanks, everyone. Bye bye now.